So we are going through the story in our church here, and it's a, it's a journey from the beginning of the Bible all the way through to the end, and it's us going it through it here in church and in small group together, and we started in Genesis, and we took the summer, we took a little break, and then we started up in the New Testament last month, and we're doing the life of Jesus, and we're going to be looking at that in just a minute in Mark chapter 10, if you want to get in there. But I don't know if anybody else here has noticed something that's going on in Huntington Beach, if it's bothered you like it's bothering me. It's just, it's a little out of control. Has anybody else noticed that people aren't using their turn signals in town? Yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't. And I don't understand why. I don't know if it's the physical energy, you know, like just, you know, to take your hand from the steering wheel move it three inches and exert a little bit of energy to lift or push down the wand, or if it's the strain on your mental synapses where, you know, you have to make that decision and determine that it would be a good idea to communicate to the people behind you going 50 miles an hour on Beach Boulevard why you're slowing down nearly to a stop. Sounds like a good idea to me. I don't think people, now you're probably going to, some of you will disagree You'll be angry with me, but I'm angry with you, so we're even. Uh, <laughs> some people on the freeway just don't drive fast enough, yeah? Yeah? Some people drive too slow, I, too fast. I know, that's me. So the person you're screaming at is going too fast, that's me, but I'm screaming at you. And What's with the red lights? I, I don't understand. There's red lights, I got to stop, I'm in a hurry, I'm going somewhere, and there, it just seems like... I promised you the other day I was in such a hurry and I think I went through seven lights and five of them were red on the way. <laughs> Maddening. It's crazy. Then people all over town are violating the let-in rule. You know what the let-in rule is? See if you know the rule, but you know the let-in experience. You're going east on Edinger towards Beach Boulevard. You want to get on the 405 freeway and you've missed three cycles of lights already. And some concerned citizen in front of you on the fourth cycle decides they want to let somebody out of the Chevron station on a green light. <laughs> Once again, delaying your opportunity to make it through the intersection and onto the freeway, you're there for a fifth time. Here is the let in rule. Let in on red lights. Green lights, keep going. Because those of us behind you, we want to get someplace. <clears throat> and I'm stressed on the road, and I'm freaking out, and I think I figured out that I might be bald from driving because I'm just <laughs> pulling my hair out all the time. And... But what I've really figured out is when I have that attitude, what I'm really manifesting is that I think the traffic signals, the other drivers, and the speed limit all should serve me. I like to be served. I want to feel like I'm special. I want to feel like I'm great. And when I don't, I get aggravated. I get frustrated. I get angry. You like being served, too. I'm going to prove it to you. You participate in any of the following you have lawn service, pool service, window cleaning service, house cleaning service. On your phone, you have phone service, and when you don't, you're super angry about it. The internet comes into your house or into your phone, into your life. It's internet service. It comes through a server. We're sitting, ironically enough, in worship service. 
We like being served. We just, we enjoy it. And the disciples wanted to be great. It seems like they wanted to be served. And we can check out how they felt, maybe relate to it a little bit. Beginning in Mark 9, I know I asked you to turn to chapter 10, but if you want to flip back and just follow with me here a little bit. In verse 33, they, the disciples with Jesus, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? So they were concerned about something. They were arguing. They were trying, you know, they were doing this somehow or another. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So here's the disciples, and they're hanging out with Jesus, and they're seeing you know, they're being called by him. Well, that sounds like a good idea. And they're seeing the miracles and, you know, a man with a withered hand is healed and people are raised from the dead. All the great things that are going on around Jesus's life. And they're thinking, man, we really want to buy into this. We really want to be a part of what's going on. We want what he has. So they're arguing about who's the greatest. And then back over in Mark 10, <clears throat> Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a little presumptuous. If I come up to you tomorrow and say, hey, I want you to do for me whatever I ask, you're going to guard your wallet probably, right? Something. They came to Christ. Well, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. So they, they, they want to be big time. They want to be great. And there's this worldly view of greatness that even the disciples of Jesus' day bought into and that we bought into, but that we buy into as well. But Christ comes at them with a little bit different take. You know, the Gospels, each of them portrays Christ with a specific one characteristic. In Matthew, he's the king. And in Luke, he's a man. And in John, he's the savior. But in Mark, he's the servant. And when the disciples were clamoring for greatness, Jesus told them a surprising instruction. It says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first or great must be very last and the servant of all. Totally contrary to what we might think greatness is just like it had to be contrary to what they thought. And then if you look in verse 41, it says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Why were the other guys indignant? I'll tell you why, because they preferred to be great instead of them. They wanted greatness. But Jesus says something else makes someone great in his kingdom. And it's different than how the world works he called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And so he points to Rome and he says, hey, they have stairs and columns and coliseums and robes and being fed grapes and parties and money and power and all that goes, but not so with you, he says in verse 43. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in this world, I think desiring greatness is a common trait, especially in America. 
Well, he just got back from Mexico, and uh, we were down there building a house this weekend that took a team of some students and some adults, and man, we all should be, I, 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 I hope you believe it when you hear this. Man, I'm just so proud of the representation of a ministry team like that down there and how awesome uh, they behave and perform and, and how they just get the work done and they're not messing around and they're polite and they're kind. And even the workers at the mission we were with, Caravan Ministries, tell me, hey, what a great group. Wow, this is one of my favorite groups and all that. And that's, that's our kids. That's our people. It's, it's just, it, it's amazing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. But even down there, you know, there's people subsisting on $70 a week is the average income in the Tijuana area. area. But even there, they, you can tell, you can just feel it. They want better. They want to advance. And I just think it's normal and natural. Maybe God put it in us to be great somehow. But I'm confident that in the Christian experience, he expects and hopes and speaks greatness into us. And the way he does it, how he's doing it here, is he's showing us that kingdom greatness comes through, quote unquote, worldly weakness. And I put that in quotes because God doesn't say that's weak. He says it's great, but the world's going to look at what he instructs and say that that's a weakness. Because in the world, greatness is being served. In our homes, at our job, in the world in general, on the road, it's being served, it's, it's achieving, it's knowing enough success to have the freedom to do whatever I want to do. It's providing for retirement. It's having a robust portfolio. And it's all these things that feed into getting and being and doing whatever I want. But Christ says, don't be served, rather serve. How to be great in God's kingdom is understanding that kingdom greatness comes through worldly weakness. And so how do you do that? He explains how. He tells us right there in the passage. And number one, the first thing he says is in verse 43, he says, whoever wants to be great. And the first thing you have to do to be great in God's kingdom, number one, you have to decide that. You have to look out over the span of your faith experience and who you are today as a Christian, who you've been as a Christian, and what do you really want before God. And when you put your life in the balance of where it's at today compared to where you think it should be and where God would want it to be, does it reflect kingdom greatness? Does it reflect a transformed life that is doing more than just showing up at church, worshiping a little bit, hearing a Bible lesson, and going out during the week and doing your thing. You have to decide that. Whoever wants to be great, he said to his disciples. And I don't want you to answer this out loud, but I want you to think to yourself, so many people in the American church settle for average and for good enough. What percentage would you say are fired up Going for it, great followers of Jesus Christ. People who know the Bible, understand the Bible, can defend the Bible, can share their faith with the Bible. 
who obey in all points like Jesus said a disciple does in Matthew 28. We're stoked about the Great Commission and we look at go out and evangelize and baptize and then we miss the part where it says, teaching them to obey all things I've commanded you. Do we obey in all points? Are we making disciples like that command says? Or do we somehow hope that kingdom greatness will get off on us if we associate with other great kingdom opportunities? Like being part of a great church. I wonder if we or Christians in America think that if I go to a great church with great worship and great programs and great preaching, somehow that makes us great as Christians. And that's not what Jesus said. We have to decide what we want out of our faith and we have to pursue it just like we would tell anybody we know who wanted to be great at an outside the kingdom endeavor. I coach volleyball for a lot of years and sometimes every now and then still people will ask me, what do I do with my son or daughter who wants to play volleyball? They want to be great. They'd like to play in college one day. And I can give you probably a page of things that that kid would have to commit to, but it's not going to happen unless the child looks at it and goes, I want to do that. And I think we're busy pursuing other kinds of greatness, sometimes at the expense of our faith and the faith of our family. And I just want to know if we had it all, if we were being served all day, every day, we had everything we ever dreamed of and we lost our faith or our kids lost their faith, would it be worth it? Jesus calls us to a great faith that flourishes and endures and that is transformative, that changes people's lives. He calls you to that, to be a part of something bigger than just going through life pursuing that worldly strength and worldly greatness. And you have to decide which one will dominate your life. None of the things I've talked about are bad, none of them. Being successful, having a robust portfolio, whatever those pursuits are, aren't bad. They're just bad when they take the place of, when they are a higher priority, when they're a priority at all competing with the priority to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we have to decide what will compete with our love for God. Jesus summed up our faith by saying if we, we are called to love God with everything we have and to love people as ourselves, we are to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. He calls us to something bigger and if you want kingdom greatness, you're gonna have to decide you want that. You're gonna have to make a decision you're going to have to make a commitment. And after you've decided to pursue kingdom greatness, which I hope you do, and many of you already have, you, number two, you have to make being a servant your disposition. It has to be who you are. Jesus explains whoever wants to be first or whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. 
He didn't allow for an option according to this English translation. You must be the servant of all. And they all understood the word servant there. The word is actually translated bondservant. And what that means is somebody who has committed their life to be a slave. In the Roman economy, you were allowed, you were sold into slavery. It was for a duration of seven years. At the end of those seven years, you could commit your life to being a slave for your master. And you would give up all of your rights. You had a lifestyle. You had a DNA. You were hardwired to be a servant. And if you can imagine, I was trying to imagine what this must feel like. Usually I'm going to guess slaves were sold into slavery at an early age. So you're 16, you're 17 years old. Seven years later, you're 23. You're a career person. You're a family person. And you say no to those things. I'm going to be a servant of my master to whatever extent he reveals I need to be for the rest of my life. And this is what Jesus is calling us to be, is a servant where we serve and it's who we are. It's not what we do. It's not eventful. It's a disposition. It's not because there's an opportunity for three hours on a Saturday or four hours on a Saturday to show up and serve. It's it's who we are. It's what we do. We're on the ready constantly to be like Christ. And where's the first place we serve? It really, it should be in the home. To the extent that Jesus has called you into a role in your household, you're a servant in that role. If you're a parent, you serve as a parent. You love your children. You bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You disciple them. You train them in the ways of the Lord. And if you're a child, you cooperate with your parents and you follow with them and you do as you're instructed there. And it's the heart of a servant that fuels the things in the family that God calls us to. And when we resist and when we rebel, that's when conflict happens and that's when disappointment happens. There's other ways for you to serve. Of course, you can serve at church. We have so many wonderfully awesome, radical, great people who serve on volunteer ministry teams here. I have a friend who told me this week that if you're going to be on God's team, you've got to step up to the plate. And people are stepping up to the plate in magnificent ways here. We have small group leaders and hosts. We have Sunday school teachers, people in groups who bring food, take roles, share prayer requests, and all other kind of things in groups. What about ministry teams? I'm going to fire these really quick. You ready? These are our ministry teams on campus the list that I found, I had to look at a list because I couldn't remember all these. If I miss a team, I apologize. We have the Welcome Center, Bulletin Prep, Media, Sound, and Light Tech, Hospital Visitation, Silver Foxes, Women's Ministry, Men's Ministry, Greeters, Ushers, Signs, Surf City Kids, Teachers, Helpers, Tower 45, Student Ministries, Recovery Ministry, Church Workdays, Funeral Support, Shopping, Thursday Night Young Adults, Worship Team, Hymns for Him, Grief Share, Prayer Team, Prayer List, Security, Spanish Ministry, Events, Deacons, Trustees, Christmas Smiles, Crochet and Knitting for a Cause, Food Closet, Thanksgiving in a Bag, Missions Care and Short-Term Trips, Counseling, Ronald Ronald McDonald House, and VBS. That's worth celebrating, you guys. That should just be... And I don't think there's a week that goes by where the staff gathers and we don't just marvel at what God is doing through you. 
in this place. It's amazing. Several of us have the disposition of a servant and you know, I've never heard any, I've heard people wear out and be tired and wonder if they can keep doing it and even switch ministries or even take a break. But I've never heard anybody come up to me and say, this serving is the worst thing I ever did in my life. I've never heard that. But I constantly hear how rewarding it is. Serve at church. If you're not serving, I just want to encourage you. We want to help you serve. You have a... You have a connection card. You can just simply and easily write on there your name and I'd like to serve and we will help you find a place. We might not have somewhere for you by next Sunday, but we will find a place for you and there are opportunities. We'd love for you to be serving and we're so grateful for how the body of Christ works together here. When you really think about what happens in ministry here, through our volunteers. Scripture is coming alive through you. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how the gifts God has gifted us with come together and form us into the body of Christ that goes out and does ministry. And it's happening all the way around the world, all the way down to Peru and other places, all over the place. And we're so blessed by people who serve and it is I challenge you, if you're not serving today, get in somewhere. And if you're scared and you don't trust the guy preaching from the stage, ask someone who's serving, hey, what's that like? What do you do? How's that going for you? How can I get involved? Ask somebody. But if you're going to decide to be great and then take on the disposition of a servant, I must tell you this, number three, you're going to pay a price. Because serving will cost you. It cost Jesus, for the, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, he said. And what he means there is because he came down to serve us in a profound and powerful way. He was seated in heaven. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. And he lowers himself to be born in a manger as a human being to a poor family. And then to live down here for 33 years which in the scope of eternity doesn't sound very long, I guess, but I just imagined that it was quite a sacrifice. And he doesn't just live down here. He teaches and he instructs and he performs miracles. He changes the world. And then he pays a price on a cross that we couldn't pay on our own. He dies there to pay for our sin and to offer us forgiveness that we cannot earn on our own. And he shows us that as an example. He says, for even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for money. So even as the Son of Man did not, just like God, who came out of heaven in majesty and glory and lowered himself to serve others, if he's up to it, we ought to be. Even as he and all of his perfection did it, we in our frailness ought to be able to follow his example. And that's what he told us in John 13. He's washing the disciples' feet. He lowered himself to perform one of the most menial tasks of that day. And at the end, he shows the disciples that that was a lesson, teaching them that they should serve one another. Follow the example I've just given for you. 
And it cost him. It says that he gave his life a ransom for many. A ransom is a sacrifice somebody's got to make to pay to make a difference in somebody else's life. And for you, there's going to be mental, physical, emotional cost. Serving will always cost you time. And man, time is one of our most amazingly scarce commodities in America in 2015, isn't it? At least it feels that way. And I learned something in college which I think is fascinating, and you might already know this. Maybe you've heard this before. I hope you can understand it. I really kind of had to really pause, and smoke was coming out of my ears as the gears were going. I was trying to learn this, but now I've kind of figured it out. Do you know that money is simply minted time? You invest time at a job and you get money. And so it's valuable. And so we know that and we protect it and we, we guard it and we promote it and we, and, and, and we try and manipulate it to our advantage. But if you're going to serve, it's going to cost you time. But really the first thing serving costs you is pride. In Philippians 2.8, it says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here's Christ, our risen Savior, and our example, telling us that he humbled himself in order to serve, and it's what we're going to have to do too. And really, all greatness costs something. Think about outside of church what you have ever wanted to be great at and the sacrifice that it took to be great at that thing. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. You want to be a great seamstress? You're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to be taught. You're going to have to make mistakes. You're going to have to invest. You're going to have to invest time. And on and on and on and on it goes. You want to be a great singer? Not everybody just shows up and walks on stage and can sing awesome. I think the voice in American Idol proved that. especially the ones who come in and they think they're great. (laughs) And if you want to serve, if you want to have the disposition, you're going to be asked to sacrifice time and energy and strength and comfort and pain and time with family and riches and maybe where you live like the Dukes have. It could be any number of things. You're sure going to be asked to pay the price to love the unlovable and serve the undeserving and forgive the unforgivable. I mean, if you have the disposition of a servant like Christ did, you will do those things. You will be on the ready. You won't have to warm up for it. Christ didn't warm up to serve us. He came and he served. And so greatness, do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Have you ever thought about the possibility that you even could or should be great? I think all of us are called into a position of greatness to align ourselves with Christ as the servant of all. And in this passage, the context is he gave himself a ransom for many. Can we understand that when we participate with Christ, we participate in the greatest endeavor that could possibly ever be participated in, rescuing people from hell? And it seems like such a little thing 
to put money in an in a, in a offering plate says missions on it. And then the Dukes come in here and tell us about what seems like a little thing. Build a zip line. Frivolous. And to hear that someone got saved because of that. I just imagine Cross Point full of those kind of disciples, the ones who decide to be great, who make serving a disposition, and who are willing to pay the price. And they hear from God, I should do this, and, and they make the move. I have some friends here, they're old, they're, they're 90-ish. And listen to this heart. Of, I, I just love this heart. We're out to lunch one day, and my friend says to me, Jim, man, I am so sorry that I can't participate and do more on campus. You know, I can't go up and down ladders anymore. I can't swing a hammer. I, there's just not much I can do. And I, I, I felt bad for him, but at the same time, I recognized that in his life, there's an older gentleman and an older lady who come on campus, and he wears a coat and tie, and she's always looking really nice, and they don't look like they can relate to anybody young very well at all. And you know what they do? They greet whoever they see with the warmest smile and the greatest kindness that people could possibly offer, and that's their ministry. You know, they show up like servants. And it's amazing. So what about you? Is deciding to be great within you, can you listen to Christ and understand that kingdom greatness comes through worldly weakness? And could that be something you want to buy into? Now you would say, I want that for my life. I want a life that makes a difference for eternity in my home, at my job, at my school, in my neighborhood, at my church. If that's you and really everybody, if you don't mind, just bow your heads, close your eyes. And I just want you to talk to God about that. Where are you with fitting into God's kingdom? And if you determine in that prayer as you talk to God that you want to be part of something bigger, something more, if you want a kingdom greatness, if you want to associate with something that has transforming power, that has eternal power, and you want to be a meaningful part of that, I would just encourage you to tell God right now, God, I, I want that. Maybe you even need to kind of turn away from being over-concerned with what the world has to offer and very much under-concerned with what the kingdom has for you. And you need to tell God today, I haven't been a servant, but God, today, starting today, I, I want to serve. I want a disposition of a servant. And I know that's going to cost me, but I'm willing to pay the price. And maybe you don't know where you fit into the kingdom of God today because you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know what that means. You say, Jim, you, you read about paying a ransom for many from Jesus. What's that mean? Well, what that means is you have a price to pay to get into heaven and you can't pay it yourself. But Christ paid it for you.
And we'd love to talk to you about that. Love for a pastor to talk to you and help you understand what that means. And if you're curious about that, we have a connection card you can just put on there. I want to know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And I or one of the pastors will be in touch with you this week, and we'd love to share that with you. And so, God, we ask your blessings on the time that we've had together in worship and celebrating uh, new life in a family and new life in your kingdom through baptism and for the amazing things you're doing around this world. We thank you for that. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. It's hard to understand how that's even possible. But I thank you that you fill us with that desire and that you empower it by your word and by your spirit and by the church. And I pray that you would use it and raise up people to be great in your kingdom. And we just thank you for this offering that we're about to take now that does so much more than we could possibly imagine. We can't know all that it does. But days like today give us a glimpse. And we just pray that it would be used in, in this place, through this community, and all the way around the world in fabulous and radical and tremendous ways Ways that, again, we could not even understand, but we are grateful for and looking forward to hearing about one day in heaven. And we just pray for, for that offering. Do a great work through it. In Jesus' name, amen.